Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Welcome to Hacks for Life, and I'm here, uh, Galen Jones, with uh, Scott Rahi, and we're talking about, our topic is apologetics, and we're kind of continuing a conversation about fine-tuning. Um, so, Scott, I'll let you kind of, kind of, um, when we ended our last conversation, I was just struggling with how 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 could you be an atheist with the, yeah. you know, um, the evidence just seems to me overwhelming. But you said that there's. We'll get to that point. Yeah. Let me keep building the case for a bit because just that little bit that I said, that's more just about here's a claim that I've made. Let me just you know, kind of work through it a okay. bit more. And the atheist community does have responses to this. I don't think they're very persuasive. I am not persuaded by that. But we're going to give it a fair a fair look. Okay. Um, and there are things that I've heard quite often. Um, so we're starting with the scientific evidence and go through this a little bit, and then we'll turn to the philosophic argument that's tied to this. Um, I want to give a list of some of the constants because I just said that there's – and I, I mentioned the idea of the ratios between electrons and, and yeah, I think yeah, it was nucleons. Yeah, yeah. But um, here is just – here's just a couple of these that are relatively common. One of them is the expansion rate of the universe. The, you know, like when the Big Bang occurred, yeah. the universe expanded out from a central place or that, that sort of um, singularity mm-hmm. at a certain rate. Stephen Hawking has said that if the expansion rate of the universe one second after the Big Bang had been slower by one part in 1,000 million million, the universe would have collapsed back upon itself. Now, if it had been the expansion rate of the universe one second after the Big Bang had been slower by one part, it's like, you know, one-tenth, you know, you can you can visual, visualize that fraction, right? Imagine, yeah, because I wasn't able to. I mean, I was no, completely lost in those numbers. Nobody can. It's too it's too uh, big of a number to visualize, but it's it's like a fraction one tenth, one over a one over a one with one thousand million million zeros after it. That's how small this is. That's how precise the rate of expansion had to be. And in order to avoid the universe collapsing back upon itself, and I've heard this doesn't specifically say that, but I've heard the same thing. And if it's just slightly faster than that, the universe just fragments and there's no planets that are formed, no stars that are formed. It's just, it just goes off, you know, individual particles. Um, The next one is the strength of gravity itself. Changing the strength of gravity by one part in 10 to the 100th power would have prevented life in the universe. So things, it would have, if there would have been too much gravity, the planets would have been, there would have been too much gravity for life to exist, or there wouldn't have been enough and planets never would have formed. Stars never would have formed that sort of a thing. And the interesting thing is, I'll come to it in a minute, but I'm doing this from memory right here, but I think when you think of 10 to the 100th, well, is that a big number? Is that a small number? I think, I think what I've seen is the number of atoms in our universe is 10 to the 37th power. So 10 to the 100th is a very significant number. It's a whole lot more than 10 to the 37th. Yeah, that's big. Yeah. And it's small because it's one divided by that big number, right? It's You have to do just the least little bit of math. Yeah. I, and I never was, you know, really Let's good just say at that. This. But. It is incredibly precise and very unlikely to have just happened. The next one is called the cosmological 
constant. And this what this means is the energy density of empty space. Like you see out there, all the stuff between the stars, yep. there's energy there, and there's a density to it. There's a certain amount of energy. This constant is fine-tuned to one part in 10 to the 53rd. <laughs> that is 100 million, billion, 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 billion. This is responsible for the formation of galaxies, stars, planets, and people. If you modify it even slightly, none of these things can form. Wow. This is not randomly, this, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll get to what they say in response to that. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil it. Okay. But I'm just giving you a list here. Um, in Hugh Ross's book, Creator in the Cosmos, he says approximately there's currently about 140 of these things. And I've got a list of some of these things that he's listed here. The strong nuclear force, uh, the weak nuclear force, gravitational uh, force, electromagnetic force, the uh, the ratio of the ele- uh, electromagnetic force to the gravitational force, ratio of electrons to protons. We talked about that with the red dime. Ratio of uh, um, expansion rate of the universe, entropy level of the universe. These are all, and it's just a big list of them. These are, these are things that... You're not going to, you know, typically be watching sports on the weekend and you have the sports commentators go, let's talk about the entropy level of the universe, Bob. You don't see that. And that's why when they began to uncover this, they're like, wow, this is not insignificant. This is a big deal, you know. Um, Yeah, that's one of the things I I think our listeners, uh, at least as I sit here uh, listening, I'm just going, gosh, who thinks about that stuff? I agree. You know, but but it, it it is important, I think, for us to reflect on as believers, so that when things are thrown out there, yeah. that you and I know it's much more complicated yeah. than that. Yeah, exactly. Because we've given it some thought. It's not like we have to watch. I'm probably not going to go watch uh, Sunday football and be thinking about that. It depends how the Cowboys are doing. Well, uh, yeah, you might have uh, other. You, your mind uh, might yeah, I might, I might be. In, you know, um, I might be questioning. No, I was going to say might be questioning intelligence, but um, <laughs> I, I can understand how um, individuals, or at least I think I can. I think I can get my head around it. How individuals that do spend just a small amount of time in reflection on the universe and how complicated it is, how mm-hmm. complex uh, things are, and and how everything does need to fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, that if I have a group that's thinking about it and they approach another group that's not thinking about it, mm-hmm. how they would be overwhelmed. I mean, I'm you, overwhelmed. You, yeah, you can. So the point that I think you're making is a valid one. People that want to leverage this and say, you know, you got a kid that comes home from college and he says, yeah, I don't believe in God anymore. It's not important for people like the parents to sit down and say, you know, um, the gravi- the, the, the um, gravitational, we are the, uh, what is it? I'm, I'm blanking on the thing. The, uh, the weak nuclear force, it has this value. You don't have to know that stuff. Right. What you have to know as a parent is to say, are you aware that cosmologists have located and, and found all these incredibly precise numbers that have to be what they are. They have to be these exact numbers in order for the universe to exist, in order for life to be possible in the universe. No, I'm not familiar with that. Well, here's some reading material. Here's some things to think about. And, and let people like 
this author, Hugh Ross, let him be the one to tell me. His books are very accessible if you're interested in this material. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think a key thing to that would be, um, uh, at least I know for me, often I want to get defensive. Mm-hmm. And which distracts from the conversation because mm-hmm. I'm really not that informed. Does that make sense? As yeah. as a parent, or I may not be. And um, but if I can, if I have a general understanding, mm-hmm. hence from our conversation, um, then I, I can. Um, and, and we talked about that. Uh, we know what we believe in. And there is a rationale. It's not brainless, mindless yep. um, belief, but it is a thoughtful that we've we've we may not be able to dive deep uh, into a specific um, area, but we've given it some thought, and we do know right. that. I mean, I walked out the other day. Um, it's we're getting ready to have a full moon, mm-hmm. and I just walk out in the evening. I'm I'm where I am. There's not a lot of gr- ground clutter, like you, you mentioned. There's not a lot of uh, light, so the stars and everything just pop. Yeah, and I look up there and I go, I mean, why do we have the Big Dipper? I mean, how did that get? Yeah, you know, I mean, and yeah. and the. These the different uh, uh, shapes that the stars make that you know people study in astronomy yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, to me, again, I, I just find it design hard. is obvious. It yeah, I, like I, it just you know obvious. you have to I'm, even even Richard Dawkins in his in some of his writings will say that things appear designed and that it's it's uh, tempting to just say everything's designed and you have to fight against that. So let me let me go just a little bit further into this. Okay. Um, one of the things that's important is these fi- these constants, these these sort of finely tuned numbers. Just one of them by by itself. You know, this idea of one of these things finding one red dime um, with all these stacks across you know however, however many continents. Um, that's enough to me to be very very persuasive. But when you look at the fact that there's a lot of these, you have to multiply. Well, that one's you know very very improbable. Now, this one's very, very improbable. Now, this third one is very, very... So you start multiplying these, and you reach the point where the numbers aren't even... You can't even comprehend the the unlikelihood or the um, the degree to which these have... All of these have to be exactly what they are. It's Numbers can't even describe it. It's so... Um, it has to be so perfectly fine-tuned. It has to be so yeah. perfectly balanced on, on a razor's edge. And I think that's important. It's not just one of these. It's all of these together have to work together. So let me, let me tell you, these are not, you know, we, we talk about scientists say this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some quotes from some of these scientists that have been, have commented on, on seeing this. These, you know, this is their profession. They find these things. And I want to read, I'm going to read a couple of things of what they said. Here's the first one. His name is uh, Fred Hoyle. He's an astronomer. He was an astronomer. I think he's passed away. Here's what he says. A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The number the numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this beyond to, to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Now this is an this is an agnostic that I think he was an agnostic. He comes on and goes, "This is crazy." Um, 
I don't have the quote. I don't believe I have the quote for this, but there's another. I think Fred Hoyle also said, and he was talking about evolution. I think he's like, you know, the idea that this would just happen by chance is like the idea that a tornado would just tear its way through a junkyard and a Boeing 747 would pop out the other end just from what the tornado is doing. <laughs> um, oh wow! Paul Davies, we've mentioned him before. He's a physicist and he's an astrobiologist. He says, there is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. The next one, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, um, well, go go ahead and finish that thought, and then I'll come back. Go do yours. That's fine. Well, uh, in a a previous conversation, for our listeners that have been kind of following along, um, we talked about there is this idea where um, some people just don't want to believe that there is a God because God is restrictive. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do this or I can't do these rules, blah, blah, blah. Uh, see, to me, when, when we start looking at the evidence, I would have to go. I just really don't want to believe that. I had that exact conversation with a guy today on a different topic. He was, I was, we were talking about mental illness and depression and whether atheists had, or secular people had a higher incidence of uh, lower quality of life. And he started, there's a lot of mocking that goes on in these conversations. He's like, who ever heard of that? There's no evidence of that. I've never heard of that before. I'm like, well, hang on. And I presented like six studies in peer-reviewed journals showing higher incidence of suicide among you know people that don't have what they call religiosity, spirituality. Mm-hmm. And did he go, wow, you know, that's, that's profound. It wasn't even something that caused him to change his worldview. He just didn't want to believe it. Mm-hmm. So he starts making fun of the studies and tries, you know, he doesn't even, in, doesn't even engage the literature. He's not interested in that. He's interested in maintaining his view. He doesn't really care what anybody else says. And so you're right. There's a, I think, I mean, you know, I've said this before. I am more and more convinced every day that atheism is not something. And people are going to get mad if they're atheists and they hear this. And I'm sorry for this. I don't think atheism is something that's based on facts or evidence. I think it's entirely based on my desire for God not to exist. Yeah. And I because it frees me up. It frees me up. You know or, you've, or maybe you've got an issue with you're angry at God for something that's happened. And I feel terrible that yeah. that's occurred, but like you've lost a child or something. But mm-hmm. this is, it's um, it's an emotional thing. And a lot of times it's people's identity. Yep. So let me read a couple more of these just really quickly. Um, Frank Tipler, he's a mathematician, a physicist, and uh, he wrote this. And I, th- I like this quote. He says, when I began my career as a cosmologist some 20 years ago, I was a convinced atheist. I never in my wildest dreams imagined that one day I would be writing a book purporting to show that the central claims of the of Judeo-Christian theology are in fact true, that these claims are straightforward deductions of the laws of physics as we now understand them. I have been forced into these conclusions by the inexorable logic of my own special branch of physics. I think he's got a book. He's got one book, called, I think, called The Physics of... Uh, Christianity. He's got a couple of them that are out there. So he is actually converted from atheism. And his name again? Frank Tipler. Frank Tipler. T-I-P-L-E-R. And here's Michael Turner. Uh, the The precision is as if one could throw a dart across the entire universe and hit a bullseye one millimeter in diameter on the other side. 
I think that's a good, that's a good way to say. <laughs> yeah, it is because I can't hit a dart at the yeah. legal distance. So I mean the bullseye. Yeah. So and there, here I actually do have the quote from Fred Hoyle. Here it says the chance that higher life forms have emerged this way is comparable to the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing seven forty seven from the materials therein. I just think that's funny. <laughs> so let's let me let me um, two more just really quick. First of all, it's Michael Denton. Michael Denton, we talked about evolution a little bit last time. Michael Denton wrote a, he's, he wrote a book called Evolution, a Theory, and Crisis uh, about 20-something years ago. And people came out and said, you know, Michael, Michael Denton, he's changed his view. He no longer believes that. So Michael Denton wrote another book. It's called Evolution, a Theory Still in Crisis, which I think is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> here's his quote. He said, whether one accepts or rejects the design hypothesis, there is no avoiding the conclusion that the world looks as if it has been tailored for life. It appears to have been designed. All uh, really appear. Oh, sorry. All reality appears to be a vast, coherent, teleological whole with life and mankind as its purpose and goal. Teleological means fine-tuned, mm-hmm. designed. Now you talk, and then this is the last one I'll use. You talk about people who have a commitment to non-belief. To, that they don't want God in there. Right. This, this is why I, cl- I included this quote. He's an evolutionary biologist. His name is Richard Lewontin. I think this is so typical of how people who don't want to accept God's existence, this is the position they take, and this is the view that they hold. And we'll wrap up here, and we'll talk after this we'll talk about the philosophical position. But here's what Lewontin says. Our willingness to accept scientific claims against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of the failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to naturalism. It's not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations. No matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiative, moreover, that material is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. He's like, we're going to pick naturalism, we're going to pick materialism, not because that's the right answer, not because that's where the evidence leads, but we can't allow a divine foot in the door. We can't accept the possibility that God might exist. So we're going to deny that just because we have to deny it. Yep. And you think about the consequences. If we really reflected on if God exists Mm -hmm. and we filled in that blank, Mm -hmm. how life would change. Yeah. Does that make sense? There's a lot of, you, I mean, your there, life has to be, you, you have to reevaluate everything. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to so, be judged. There's a divine judge at the end of my life. I'm, I'm not going to just yeah. fade from there's, existence. There's accountability yeah. as be, for being human and being given the gifts and talents and skills and, yep. uh, that, that we have as humans. Yep. So, uh, wow, Scott, these are great conversations. I, I hope that our listeners are getting as much out of it as, as I am. And I'm looking forward for We're going to talk about... Um, we're going to keep going, and we're, we're going to switch to the philosophical, philosophical side, of yeah. side of that in our next conversation. Yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Good deal. 
You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit Christ-centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972-243-4673. That's 972-243-4673. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.